0: Hey friend, welcome back here to the Seminole Seminary, and here we are another week, another episode of our Bible study series we call The Bible for Grown-Ups. And tonight, if you're listening to, the, whenever you're listening to this, just when this was recorded, this is recorded in our midweek Bible study that we, uh, in this particular instance, are holding on the week before Pentecost Sunday. So if you go back and listen to the last, uh, I think, three episodes, if you listen to those into a row, basically what we did was we took the time between Passover and, and Pentecost and talked about the importance of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is what we celebrate at Pentecost. One of the things I definitely realized about three quarters of the way listening to this episode, I'm sorry, about even doing this episode was I think I've just about said everything I think I know about Pentecost. So... I'm not going to say anymore. I'll see you on the other side. So I am going to go ahead and get started tonight. And uh, just to push us back into where we are, uh, tonight we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. Tonight's study is called When God Acts, Um, because I think what we're going to see is we have this book of the Bible that's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really... Actually, it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit that um, it might be a better name for the book than Acts of the Apostles. But uh, we're doing that again as we have for the last three or four weeks because on this Sunday we celebrate uh, what we might collectively or colloquially call the birthday of the church. Right? We have Pentecost coming up this Sunday, which is a remembrance... Of a portion of scripture that we find in Acts chapter 2. When the uh, disciples and followers of Jesus are huddled in an apartment. Uh, Tradition places them in the same place as we know as the upper room. Tradition also uh, places the ownership of that upper room to the mother of John Mark. Whom is she's unnamed. But John Mark is the guy, Mark, who writes the gospel account of Mark. And so um, this is happening in the same place that we find right before the crucifixion, traditionally. But it's on this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends upon the individuals in that room, which then energizes them to go out into the streets and to proclaim Their witness of Jesus, who was the Christ, this character Jesus of Nazareth. But tonight we're going to look at one. We're also going to cover Pentecost. So uh, uh, that's uh, one of the few Sundays in the church where everything with our colors of liturgy are red, by the way. Uh, Red is uh, our color, our color for the Holy Spirit. So let's actually begin looking at Acts by looking First, at Luke, and I'll explain why. At the very beginning of Acts, I'm sorry, Luke says, the former account I made, he's talking about his writing of the gospel account according to Luke. So, Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel account. It's the sequel of the movie, so to speak. What happens next, okay? So this is the beginning of Acts, and Luke is saying the former account I made, that gospel account, O Theophilus, this name, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Now, of course, Luke in his gospel, he's referring to his gospel, the gospel account according to Luke, And if we go to Luke chapter 1, we actually see the same address or the uh, the beginning addressed to the same person. Rather, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us regarding Jesus Christ. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Again, again, this idea of Jesus returning from the dead being recorded by eyewitnesses. Big deal to me. It should be a big deal to you. It's one of the things that makes the story about Jesus different because people saw Jesus dead and people saw Jesus alive. And people recorded their eyewitness testimony as to those facts. Okay? Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke is looking at all this stuff and he's, he's evaluating it rationally. He's evaluating this information intellectually as well as spiritually. And he says, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, what it appears is that at one point, uh, the gospel of Luke and Acts were actually known. It was originally as one book. Okay, kind of separated into these two parts, but one book. And the both are addressed to this person, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus means a lover of God. Okay, Theophilus, that's what that word translates to, a lover of God. Many people don't actually believe that Theophilus was a a specific person, but rather um, the generalized reader whom Luke is going to say, if you're a lover of God, I'm addressing the story to you so that you too can know that what you're reading is true because I've spoken to the eyewitnesses and I've taken down what we believe to be the facts about it all. So it's more of a symbolic name for a believer. But if he was an original, or if he was a person, he, was, he could perhaps have been an official of some kind. Some people actually argue uh, that six since Acts ends with the trial of Paul before Caesar, that the Luke Acts uh, uh, um, manuscript is actually a defense brief on Paul's behalf given to a Roman official, right? Giving him the background of the case. Some people think that Theophilus may have been Paul's attorney. So that when Paul was on trial before Caesar, these documents were able to provide defense for Paul against the charges. Okay? Didn't work out that way. But another belief also is that perhaps Luke wanted to show that Rome had nothing to fear from Christianity and also from the Apostle Paul because Christianity was not a movement of political revolution but spiritual revolution. Now, as a history, Acts is also exciting. It's it's inspiring. It's also applicable to us as Christians here in the church in a variety of ways. Um, but we also need to be careful with the book of Acts because we must be aware of expecting to see such phenomenon that we in the church today that we find outlined in this book. Because we don't always. Because our Christianity sometimes doesn't seem to be the same kind of Christianity that the original church followed. And perhaps that's the reason for us not experiencing some of the gifts that the early church experienced. Because in some ways we have normalized our Christianity. We've, we've not allowed ourselves to love and live in grace as irrationally, perhaps, as the early Christians did, therefore, we lose out on some of that some of that fruit. So then what does Acts teach? Well, we see that Luke is uh, being referred to here in the beginning and writing Luke to Theophilus, all of Jesus, all that Jesus began to do and teach. The Acts of the Apostles then tells us uh, what happens after the fact. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. So the Gospel of Luke is about all that Jesus began to teach and the Acts of the Apostles tells us of a middle period after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Verse 2 of Acts 1, so Jesus has died, Jesus has has, uh, risen, and people are seeing him. He's still on earth. He has not been glorified in heaven yet. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven... After giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the disciples from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I have told you before. And that's why they're still hanging out in that apartment after everything. Because Jesus told them, stay here until you get a sign. What sign? you, You are going to know. Right? If you are wondering whether this is the sign from God, it's not. You'll know. You'll know. On the earth, he chose apostles. Jesus He suffered on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the 30 day. 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. But during that time, when he was with disciples in his resurrected body, he taught them things concerning the kingdom of God. And he sent the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what we're going to be reading about. What Jesus began to do and teach in Luke, he now continues to do and teach on earth through his church now. By the power of the Spirit. Luke is showing in Luke how Jesus affects the kingdom of God on heaven. Jesus. Acts shows how Jesus affects the kingdom of God now through the Holy Spirit, through the individual. Okay, This is why we call this the birth of the church. Now again... I had mentioned earlier about its name being maybe misapplied because the book is not actually a history of the apostles primarily, but it's an account of the acts of God's Spirit through ordinary, everyday disciples like you and me. When God acts, the Holy Spirit is released. That's what we're celebrating in this week of Pentecost. So I want you to see two things tonight. I want you to see a promise that Jesus refers to. And then the day of Pentecost, that is the actual account pouring out of the spirit. Chapter one, we see verse four. Once he was eating with them and he commanded, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. The source of the promise is found here. It was the promise of the father. Jesus said, which you have heard from me, the promise of the father, which I have relayed to you. Now, when did they hear that a promise of God? Let me turn back to John chapter 14. You can stay right there. You can just listen. Okay? Here's here's Jesus telling them the promise of God as we're hearing him in Acts. So here's what he actually promised. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will pray with the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, if you've been with us, here we go again. Helper, that word, is paraclete. In Greek, it means intercessor. It means a helper. It means someone, para, who assists. Technically, someone who comes alongside. A kletos or klete rather, is one who has been called or blessed to something. The paraclete, when the word helper, helper, comforter, intercessor is used here, it's this word. It's somebody who is going to come alongside you as a believer and assist you in your spiritual journey. And he says, not only when this, not only will this spirit come, but he will abide with you forever. Okay. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. Remembering, of course, that what G and remember, he says, hey, and when it does happen, it's going to be better off. You're going to be better off when I'm up there and the Holy Spirit's down here. Now imagine you've just spent the last three years with Jesus and seen Jesus do Jesus' things. You can only imagine that those disciples must have thought, that's crazy talk. How in the world could our lives be better, Jesus, if you're gone? Remember, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth was a localized ministry. Jesus' ministry could only could only travel, could only grow, could only impact people as far as Jesus was physically able for people to hear his voice. I'm not saying that things that Jesus couldn't do things supernaturally, but if Jesus did Jesus stuff supernaturally, is it is it the Jesus of Nazareth doing it, or is it the power of God doing it through Jesus? See what I'm saying? Jesus, as Jesus of Nazareth, is a local minister. The Holy Spirit empowered in each believer makes the truth of God become a global mission. That's why Jesus is saying, it's better when I ascend, it's going to be better off. Because we can, you and and the other 12 of you dudes, 11 of you dudes, well, I can't remember. Yet we did bring Matthias back. Okay. We can only take this band on the road and go so far. But when each one of you gets filled with that same power of God, each one of you is going to be and have your own opportunity to share this message. And John 16, verse 7 of 16 I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. Because if I stay here, the helper can't come. Right? Because, because uh, I can't demonstrate Jesus, uh, God's promise of faithfulness to you until the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and never leaves. There is a promise of God to you that when the Holy Spirit enters you, God will never leave you. You can walk away from God. But God doesn't call it a day and just go back home and say, well, I'll write them off, I guess. You're the one that does the writing. And that's a promise, a promise of faithfulness that God makes to every single person. So, the substance of the power of the Holy Spirit, what is it? What are we actually supposed to do with it? Well, let's jump back to Acts, verse 8, Acts 1. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And here's what he says when that happens, here's what you're going to be empowered to do. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know my Palestinian first century history, all that great, Pastor Jim. So what does that even mean? So let me try to just off the cuff here, try to um, put this in perspective. You're going to tell Jesus to people in Cushing. You're going to tell people, about Jesus in Payne County. And when you've told people in Payne County, you're going to tell people in Oklahoma about Jesus. And when you've told people in in Oklahoma about Jesus, you're going to take this thing everywhere. You're going to start in your hometown, Jerusalem, right? Judea, that's the province in which the Jewish people live. Samaria, that's their brothers and sisters Ethnically, but there was a split religiously. That is a whole other Bible stu- study that maybe we'll talk about next week. Um, why the Samaritans weren't so good when it came to the Jewish people—that might, but we will talk, talk about next week. Uh, but we're going to take them to our neighbors, take them to our own house, our own families, our own city, our neighbors, our state, and then the power of the Holy Spirit is going to allow this message. To spread to all peoples of the world. The power to do what? To make all the lights turn green when I'm driving down the street? The power to pick the right lotto numbers? The power to uh, get the best job in the world? No, the power is to be a witness to Jesus. You're empowered with the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Jesus. And many people want the Holy Spirit. Right? Or they want more of the Holy Spirit if they think they've got it. Many people want the Holy Spirit to perform miracles in their life. They want it to, to do something for them. But they don't want to be witnesses for Jesus. They want something out of the Holy Spirit, but they're not even willing to use the basic premise of what the Holy Spirit is even for. Some people want the gifts of tongues, but they don't want to use their natural tongue to spread the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Some people want to witness in Jerusalem in their, in their own hometown, in their own backyard, but they don't want to go to Samaria again. The Jewish people in Jerusalem would have said, I'm going to Samaria? I'm not going to Samaria. I don't like those dudes at all. Real quickly. Um, there was a fight. I do not need to be telling these stories right now. (laughs) There was a fight between uh, the Jewish religious leaders and the Samaritan religious leaders in 6 BC. And um, as a result of the tension, Samaritans came into Jerusalem and they threw um, butchered pigs into the temple. And it so defiled the temple in 6 BC that they weren't even able to hold Passover that year. It took a whole year for the temple to become reconsecrated and, and remove whatever sin of whatever that, whatever that is. They couldn't even hold Passover that year. Okay. Now some people say Jesus was born in three BC or even zero, but that's all conjecture, right? This was just a few years before Jesus's birth. And Jesus was in his 30s when he died, right? So whenever he's telling people about how you're going to go and live with the Samaritans, it was only a few decades earlier that they had had their September 11th. That's essentially what this attack on the temple was. Right? And so, you know... Maybe even today saying you're going to go and you're going to love people in Afghanistan, which I'm not saying that it's different today than, than then, you know, especially since maybe we've exacted the revenge we need against Osama bin Laden and all of that. But I hope you guys see the point. This was a, a, this was a terrorist attack that hit them at the center of Political, cultural, religious uh, power. And now this Jesus of Nazareth guy comes along and he starts telling about good Samaritans. That dude's crazy. But that's exactly what happens. Not because the Jewish guys wanted to go to Samaria, but because the Holy Spirit empowered them to go to the, uh, to the areas of Samaria then to the wider world. Now, since I took up that story about that sh- time about that story, we're actually at this point just going to skip. I'm going to skip down to talking about the day of Pentecost, what I've really come to talk about anyway. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they with one accord were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I think the night we talked about the speaking in tongues bit, I I actually referenced that um, when the initial event occurred, it wasn't an unintelligible language. I don't know if you guys remember me saying that. The first time the Spirit descends upon people in this instance of Pentecost, it's actually they're speaking other human languages so that people can supernaturally understand them. Okay, not that that's of any, it's just one of those things that challenge you about, you think you know everything about speaking in tongues of the Holy Spirit. Bet you didn't know that. Like, you know, where does it say in Genesis that, that uh, Eve gave Adam an apple? Doesn't, but you think it does, right? That kind of stuff. Where does it say that Cain killed uh, Abel with a rock? Doesn't say that, but you think it does. All right, so anyway, sorry. I, again, I don't know. I think I've just talked too much about Pentecost at this point. I'm, I'm losing myself. Thanks. Well, we're going to knock this out. We're going to come around a final curve here and take this thing out. Pentecost means 50th. Again, I, more than anything, I want to educate us about what we're celebrating this Sunday. And remember, it's the result of the first fruits. It's calculated by the first fruits. Uh, Harvest, which was the initial grain, the first harvest of grain in the region, people who grew grain would take a portion of that first fruits of that grain. And 50 days after Passover, Pentecost, 50 days, they would return to Jerusalem and offer that grain as, as a sacrifice. That's why everybody's in Jerusalem from all over the world when the disciples come out and they're speaking all different kinds of languages. That's why there are people from all over the world. Because it showed up on Mardi Gras, right? You go down to the French quarter and you could start speaking in different languages, and there are going to be people who are going to understand you. Yep. Whether you're speaking intelligible language or not, there's going to be probably somebody who goes, I can I don't care what he's saying. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm sorry. I don't even know now why I'm talking. In Acts chapter 2, we see the spread in Jerusalem and Judea. And Jews came from all over the empire. But it was Jerusalem and Judea that got hit in power of Pentecost. In chapter 8, we will see, like I was just mentioning, we will see Samaritans. They get an outpouring of the Spirit. And I'd like to just show that story real quick. When the Holy Spirit is to come upon you, you'll be witnesses to be in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, in Acts 8, 14, here's how that story comes about real quickly. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, whom, when they had come down, prayed for them. Now, these are believers. They're already converted, but... The prayer was that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he has fallen upon none of them. This is curious, okay? This is curious. This is also kind of ties into my own personal belief about whenever you have that conversion moment when you are younger and and then you get older and you get more serious about it, you feel like, I had this conversion moment, but I've never really felt like the Holy Spirit has guided my life. The Holy Spirit's been, from that moment, you turned your heart over. The Holy Spirit has been in your life. You might not be listening to it, but it's been there. And and in God's timing, it took 30 years for you to stop being a numbskull and start hearing it for the first time. At least, I'm sorry, that's my personal testimony. That's still an amen. Right? So this gives you kind of this story, this first story, kind of gives you that same vibe. Because we have these believers, but the disciples say that the Spirit hadn't descended upon them yet. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus by John the Baptist. And so they laid hands on them, and when they did, they received the Spirit. And now the Samaritans are being impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't enough That they were converted. And baptized. They needed the power of Pentecost. Going through the rituals. Of Christian church membership. Is not what empowers your life. The Holy Spirit living in you. Transforming you. In those areas of your life. Where you allow God to change you. That. Is pow- That's what it means to be converted. Whatever that even is supposed to mean. So Jerusalem, Judea, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, everybody who's not a Jew or a Samaritan, everybody else, the Greeks, the Romans, the people who live in modern day France, Chinese people, all of these ethnicities in this context are just Gentile. They're, they're only defined, they're not defined by who they are, they're defined by what they're not. Okay? And so now they're seeing, now the story of Acts is showing us that there is some sort of immersion in the Holy Spirit that needs to take place for our conversion. And it's saying that, that means that you can't live a successful Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit because there's no such thing, okay? So here's here's another story. Uh, When Apollos was in Corinth, uh, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. This is now taking it to the Gentiles. On the coast where he found several believers in Jesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? Oh, I'm sorry. I got these two stories mixed up. They said, we received the baptism of John. Just like Jesus did. John baptized Jesus, right? But, but is John's baptism what makes Jesus is, Jesus a Christian? Jesus isn't a Christian. But, but, but as the example Christian. Is it the fact that he went into the Jordan and was baptized? Is that what empowered him? What happens right after that? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Descends upon him, exactly. right? And God actually says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's when Jesus gets Jesus' power, so to speak, right? It's not what John did. That's what's happening here. They've experienced the baptism, baptism of John. John's baptism called for the repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. Okay, so right here we see the promise coming to fruition. First in Jerusalem with the day of Pentecost and then outward into Judea, into Samaria, and then into everything not that stuff. So at the beginning of this series, we've been looking at how God acts, how God works through his spirit, his way in our lives, our churches, our community. And we found that it's all dependent on this internal spirit that guides us and convicts us. So we have to put ourselves at least on the Witness stand for a second and go, is there something missing in my spiritual life? This spirit, this power thing you keep talking about, I almost feel like I believe it's got to absolutely be true, but I can be honest with you, I've never actually felt it myself. Well, the Holy Spirit has empowered you, friend. It's just a matter of whether. We accept it. And when we do, again, we do not get some miraculous power to be the best water skier in the world, to whatever. We give, It gets given to us so that we might be a witness of Jesus. What does that mean? Because I think a lot of people hear witness of Jesus and they think about kind of very conservative, strange, weird uh Stuff you hear, social media and stuff today, with you know, you got to believe these things about. And if you do these kind of things, you're not a all of that stuff. I feel like a lot of people think that somehow or another, that's what being a witness for Jesus means, telling people how bad of sinners they are. Perhaps that maybe that makes sense. Again, I'm I'm utterly convinced that the the point of our existence as believers is that our lives. Through our words, through our actions, through our deeds, through our relationships, our lives are supposed to be a representation, a testimony of God's appeal of his love to humanity. Our lives are supposed to be empowered and lived so that nonbelievers look at our lives and go, I see how much God loves God's creation through the example of their life. Right, and that's that's our witness. Our witness is is not necessarily to convert people to a certain group uh, a grouping of rules or regulations or do's and don'ts. That's that's not our witness. Our witness is one that's based in love and grace. And if our witness is not based in love and grace, then I can promise you, friend, what you have is something probably guided by some sort of political agenda, but it is not a witness of Jesus Christ. The other church was standing at Pentecost, literally, in an open square, speaking in tongues and magnifying the mighty works of God, and they weren't ashamed. And so what does this power give us? It gives us a boldness. The Holy Spirit gives us a boldness to say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit without measure, so that we might be more like you, that we might experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives and that our lives might truly reflect God's love for the world. Because that's what we've been brought here to do. And that's what happens (laughs) when God acts. Any questions? You know, as we close out our look at the Holy Spirit, at least for now, I can't help but think, like I've, I think, mentioned in these ending segments before, this is another example of one of just crucial, crucial components of our spiritual lives that so many of us just fail to even understand. Therefore, because we we don't fully understand it, it doesn't fully empower our lives. Everything is much more difficult. And if we, if we take the time to truly understand the value and and the faithfulness that comes with trusting and understanding the value of God's promise of the Holy Spirit to us, it it takes us to an entirely different level. Not only of of spiritual understanding, but closeness to God. Ultimately, Isn't that what we're all looking for? Anyway, it's something to think about. Hey, friend, I hope until next week you'll join us and be well. I think we are going to talk about uh, if Samaritans were ever actually good or not. I hope you'll join us. Until then, be blessed.